0: It is three chapters, and there's a fair bit of text. We've done this before going through Deuteronomy and Numbers and stuff like that. And so tonight, the way I'm going to approach this, these three chapters are connected. It's a historical narrative. They're all connected. They go together. So they don't have distinction like some of the chapters we've had in Judges. They all go together with a horrible event at a horrible time, and the whole book ends with everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. So this story is going to end with, this book's going to end with the phrase, everyone did what's right in their own eyes. So it's not, these are my three least favorite chapters of the Bible. I'm quite sure of it. Because it's violent crime, it's brutality, it's rape, it's murder, it's dismemberment. And yet it is in God's word. There are famous preachers who would never, ever publicly read Judges 1920 and 21 because they found it so offensive but the offenses of humanity put jesus on the cross and jesus bloodied and beaten beyond recognition is the most offensive thing in human history and that took place for things like this now it'd be very easy for me to teach these three chapters and be have emotion when we read these chapters you're gonna have emotion We've protected people in this flock from stalkers and violent rapists. I had a mother. I have a wife. I have daughters. I have granddaughters. The text tonight is very upsetting for me as a man with women I love, abo- and a sister, b- above, beside, below, beneath, beneath. Some of you are in law enforcement, have law enforcement background. Violent crime And evil people are a reality of the human experience, as is the blood of Jesus Christ. So for me to keep me on track in the text tonight, I'm going to try my best not to let my emotions muddy the water of the pure word. But if I get a little worked up, it's not to be that surprising. Because you'll get worked up reading the text. Also, I'm going to read each chapter in its entirety. So I don't bog down on any one of the chapters and keep us here till 10 at night. It'll keep me on point. It'll keep me in my lane. And I'll keep my pitch count uh, in the right category to be a good time on this study. And I'm going to show you that all things work together for good. Because I trust God's going to guide me in bringing forth good application from the, the text tonight. So WG, we're going where very few churches go. We're going through three of the hardest chapters of the Bible because just how violent and horrible they are. But God gave us every word, dotted I and crossed T, and it's living and powerful, and it's designed to equip us for every good work, for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. So keep that in mind as we go through these chapters. Also, it is a time of Phineas, Eliezer's son, who is Aaron's grandson, so we know we're no longer chronological in the book of Judges. What we're reading tonight is really early part of the book of Judges, shortly after Joshua's death, probably around the time of Othniel or Ehud, back in the first couple of chapters of this book. Because Phineas is in this text it lets us know when this happens, so we're no longer chronological in the book of Judges. In fact, these three chapters are a summary of just how dark and evil it was during that 400 year with the lack of God being their king and the lack of even a godly king, a human king, to guide them and lead them. It's the time of Judges where everyone did what was right In their own eyes. So with that in mind. We pick it up in chapter 19. I will read the entire chapter. And it came to pass. In those days. When there was no king in Israel. That there was a certain Levite. Staying in the remote mountains of Ephraim. He took for himself a concubine. Or literally a mistress. From Bethlehem and Judah. But his concubine played the harlot against him. She was sexually unfaithful. And went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah, and was there four whole months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back, having a servant and a couple of donkeys with him. So she brought him into her father's house, and when the father of the young woman saw him, he was glad to meet him. And now his father-in-law, the young woman's father, detained him, and he stayed with him three days. So they, ate and they drank and lodged there. Then it came to pass on the fourth day that they arose early in the morning, and he stood to depart. But the young woman's father said to his son-in-law, Refresh your heart with a morsel of bread, and afterward go your way. So they sat down, and the two of them ate and drank together. And then the young woman's father said to the man, Please be content to stay all night, and let your heart be merry. And when the man stood to depart, his father-in-law urged him, so he lodged there again. Then he rose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart, but the young man's father said, Please refresh your heart. And so they delayed until afternoon, both of them ate. And when the man stood to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the young woman's father, said to him, Look, the day is now drawing toward evening. Please spend the night. See, the day is coming to an end. Lodge here that your heart may be merry. Tomorrow go your way early so that you may go home. However, the man was not willing to spend that night, and so he rose and departed. And came opposite to Jebus, that is Jerusalem, and with him were two saddled donkeys. His concubine was also with him, and they were near Jebus, and the day was far spent. And the servant said to his master, please come and let us turn aside into the city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. But his master said to him, we will not turn aside here into a city of foreigners who are not of the children of Israel. We will go on to Gibeah. So he said to his servant, come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night in Gibeah or in Ramah. And they passed by and went their way, and the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin of Israel. And they turned aside there to go into lodging lodge in Gibeah, and when he went into it, he sat down in the open square of the city, for no one would take them into his house to spend the night. Just then an old man came in from working in the field that evening, who was also of the mountains of Ephraim. So he's an Ephraimite just like this man. And he was staying in Gibeah. See, he's not a Benjamite, but he was staying there. And whereas the men of the place were Benjamites, and when he raised his eye, he saw the traveler in the open square of the city, and the old man said, hey, where are you going, and where do you come from? So he said, we are passing from Bethlehem and Judah toward the remote mountains of Ephraim. I am from there, and I went to Bethlehem and Judah, and now I'm going to the house of the Lord, that there is no one who will take me in his house. And although we have both straw and fodder for our donkeys, and bread and wine for myself, for your female servant, and for the young man who is with your servant, there is no lack of anything. And the old man said, hey, peace be with you. However, let all your needs be my responsibility, only do not spend the night in the open square. So he brought him into his house and gave fodder to the donkeys, and they washed their feet and ate and drank. And as they were enjoying themselves, suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, homosexual, gay men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. And they spoke to the master of the house, the old man saying, bring out the men that came to your house that we may know him, the man that we may know him carnally. They want to rape him, homosexual rape. But the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said, Hey, no, 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 my brother, and I beg you, do not act so wickedly. See, this man has come into my house. Do not commit this outrage. Look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine, his mistress. Let them be brought out to you. Humble them and do to them as you please. But to this man, do no such vile thing. But the men would not heed him. So the man took his concubine and brought her out to them. And they knew her. They sexually abused her. They raped her all night until morning. And when they came daybreak, they let her go. Then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was till it was light. And when her her master arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way, there was his concubine found at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And they said to her, get up, let's be going. But there was no answer. So the man lifted her on the donkey and the man got up and went to his place. And when he entered his house, he took a knife. She she obviously had deceased. He took a knife, laid hold of his concubine, and divided her into 12 pieces, limb by limb. So he dismembered her. And he sent her pieces throughout all the territory of Israel, 12 pieces of limb for 12 tribes. And so it was that all who saw it said, No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, confer, and speak up. So this would have been very shocking since they came out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses, came into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. And here in this time where there's no more Moses, no more Joshua, who knows if it's Othniel, Ehud, whoever the leadership is, it's fragmented, it's the time of judges, and this horrible, violent crime happened. It is upsetting, and that's why the Holy Spirit says, consider, confer, and speak up. There can be no neutrality on a violent crime like this. There there, there can't be some things you can be neutral on, but you can't be neutral on the gospel and you can't be neutral on criminality and violent crimes. You have to choose sides. You can't be pro-choice and pro-life. You can't be pro-marriage and pro-gay. Like, you have to choose sides. Either something is pro-family or it's anti-family. Either something is for the benefit of all humanity or it's against all humanity. Either something to uh, elevates your understanding of the value of every human soul or devaluates your appreciation of every human soul. There can be no neutrality, as much as you want neutrality, to a no vote is a vote against right. So when you come to what you don't know, you fall back on what you do know, and you want to always stand when you consider and you take to heart that you're always taking to heart what's true, observable, transparent, just, holy, and honorable that's pleasing to the Lord. You never want to choose a side that's jaded, Shadow, shuffling of the feet, winking of the eyes, darkness, cover-up, conspiracy, manipulation. That's always the devil, because the devil is the father of lies, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and it's impossible for God to lie. So it's not like it's hard to choose sides, which it's not it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know which side to choose when there's right and wrong. It just takes courage to do the right thing. I don't know who makes me more upset in this story. The gay men who came to rape this man and raped his concubine, who obviously didn't value, and killed her. They raped her and they murdered her. That's capital punishment. And we'll get to that in the next chapter. These are violent, evil men. And they should be incarcerated at Pelican Bay like Charles Manson. They should never be allowed in society. And by God's law, they should be executed to protect you your wife, your daughter, your granddaughter, your mother, and your sister. These are evil men that act like brute beasts. And they're condemned by God's law. And we pay our taxes to the minister because he doesn't bear the sword in vain, but he bears it with perfect righteous judgment. So they're very upsetting in this story. But this Levite is upsetting too. What a coward. He has a woman that he has sex with, but he's not truly married to her. She's just a mistress. That's what she is. Like, even when you read it, it's like, is she the wife? Or is she a, like, the the terminology, right? He's called her husband, but she's not really called his wife. It's confusing. That's what happens when you have multiple wives. Or you're unfaithful to your wife. It gets confusing. This guy's a Levite. He's supposed to be teaching the word of God. He has a woman that's really not his wife that he shouldn't have. He has sexual intimacy with her. His inability to provide security and love for her causes her to be a harlot to him. So he stumbles for her, which men often do. So often when women commit adultery, it's not because that's what they set out to do. It's because her husbands were such idiots and jerks in the first place and didn't love them the way they should. If the man is the covering, and he doesn't cover properly, then he leaves his spouse vulnerable, and that's the order God gives. The father is ahead of the son, the son is ahead of man, and man is ahead of woman. And the responsibility of a husband is to nurture and to love and to take care of his wife like Christ loves the church, to serve her and lay down his life for her, not throw her out the door to be raped by violent homosexual men. So as bad as the gay men in the town are for what they do to this woman, really, this Levite. He should be teaching God's law. Instead, he's causing his concubine, she he shouldn't have in the first place to commit harlotry against him. He goes and gets her, probably because he enjoys sex with her. And how he evaluates his travel plans is ridiculous. We'll come to that in a moment. He puts himself at risk. He puts her at risk. And then this all happens, and he throws her under the bus and allows her To be raped all night and then murdered and died through this violent crime. And then you think, how do you dismember a human body in 12 pieces? Well, he did. He did. And so he gets this kind of high horse platform to make the whole nation accountable for what happened to his concubine. But you know, it wasn't a tribe of Nath that threw her out the door to the gay men that raped her and killed her in the middle of the night. He did that. I heard a minister this year say that he would stand by and let people come in his house and rape his, his loved ones. I'll tell you what, that'll never happen in my house. You'll kill me before you hurt anyone in my house. I would never let this happen to anyone that I love, and I wouldn't let it happen in this church either. Nor would Sam or the deacons. I believe Fred would stand up and take a bullet for you to protect you from a violent act in this this room, in this building. I know many of you would stand up to do it to protect me. We'd be all running to the front to get shot first by a violent criminal because we don't love our life to the end. We've given up our life that we might find it through losing it. And nor do I count this thing dear to me that I can complete the race that God has for me. I would never let evil men do this to anyone I love without having to do it to me first. And I think most of you would agree with me. These people come to church, by the way, too. We've had the stalkers. I I had a a woman stalker that tried to kill her husband, and she stalked me. We had a man that stalked a, a single mom. We got inside intel that he had served time for physically being violent with women, and he threatened my life out here. And I used the only weapon I had. I said, in Jesus' name, you get back in your car and don't ever come here again. And he did, and we never saw him again. And that woman and her children still thanked me 12 years later. She visited here not long ago. This year, she visited in 2021 and thanked me. That man knew where I lived, too. There was a man here in the first year where... Steve Cedarquist, our former security guy at Big Calvary, he said, Hey, you know, you got a guy on there that's on the Megan's list. It's at your church, and he's, uh, he's checking out women at your church. Sure enough, he was. Public knowledge, guys that are violent sexual criminals. He was here. He's a big man. I got in his grill. That's what it looked like. And I said, What's your story? And why are you here? And what did you do to get on the Megan's list? violent rape but Jesus forgiven me okay I understand that but why are you smiling you're making this photo like I thought it's a broken spirit and contrite heart that Jesus honors why are you smiling you're on a website for gang raping a woman and you're smiling and you're coming in here with your muscle shirt on and flexing in this sanctuary why aren't you ashamed why aren't you bearing fruit of humility Because I got the joy of the Lord. You know, I said to him, I go, just know this, we're never gonna take our eyes off you. And we didn't. We made him so uncomfortable when he was here. And that man intimidated my wife when he'd come to the Calvary School in the office and make a scene when she ran MCA. We knew that his wife had threatened him, he had threatened his wife. He was a violent bad man and we made sure that the sheepfold was a safe place for God's people thank you do not underestimate evil in this world and just know teaching is the easy part of being a pastor tending is the hard part but you know if you're a woman of conviction if you're a man of courage you will pick the right side and you will stand for what's right. The Levite was a coward. And let me remind all of us what the book of Revelation says who is not in the heavenly city? Cowards. They're called out by name by the Holy Spirit. So if there's one key application here, don't be a coward. Take the bullet. Give your life, serve, show Jesus in your final act, if necessary. Life's hard. Don't be a coward. The Levite was a coward. Man, we had a moral here today that was so painful and so hard because it involved a suicide. And there was hundreds of people here and it's a former congregant of this church and a friend. Life is hard. Mike Harris reminded us today that there's four men in the Bible that wanted to take their life. Moses, Elijah, David, I forget, the, Jonah. They all said, kill me. And when Mike Harris was talking about four myths about suicide, one of the myths was that Christians never get depressed and despondent. Well, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we've despaired beyond life and and, and we're perplexed beyond measure. So of course that would that right there would say that, but I never thought of that what Mike Harris said today. Because in fact, all four of those men said, Take my life. Life is hard. So don't be a coward. Stand up to evil, confront it. If you're excommunicated from your family Christmas gathering, then so be it. Let God be true. And every man a liar. And light is light and darkness is darkness. Make sure you choose the side of righteousness. And when you know there's a defining moment that's going to shape human history and affect 50,000 people dying, make sure you're not part of the problem but you're a part of the solution. Let your mistress cut your body up into 12 pieces and disperse that and let that go that way. But don't let them cut up that woman that you supposedly love. Don't let the, you, don't, you had to cut up. Don't let them rape her and you cut her up. You let them rape you and let her cut you up. That's what a real man would do. This man was a coward. I'll tell you, I hate him, actually. I hate cowards. Our land is filled with cowards, conspirators and cowards. And that's why I grow my hair out, because it's hard to be angry with long hair. And that's why I dance, because it's hard to be mad and dance at the same time. Chapter 20. It's a long chapter. So all the children of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, as well as from the land of Gilead, and the congregation gathered together as one man before the Lord at Mizpah. And the leaders of all the people, all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword. Now the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. So it's 11 tribes verses 1. Then the children of Israel said, Tell us, how did this wicked deed happen? So the Levite, the husband of a woman who was murdered, answered and said, My concubine, and I went to Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin, to spend the night. And the men of Gibeah rose up against me and surrounded the house all at night because of me. They intended to kill me, but instead they ravished my concubine so that she died. So I took hold of my concubine, cut her in pieces, and sent her throughout all the territory of the inheritance of Israel because they committed lewdness and outrage in Israel. Look, all of you are children of Israel. Give your advice and counsel here and now. So all the people arose as one man, saying, none of us will go to his tent, nor will any turn back to his house. But now this is the thing we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot. We will take ten men out of every hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, a hundred out of every thousand, and a thousand out of every ten thousand, to make provisions for the people that we may come to Gibeah and Benjamin, that they may repay all the violence that they have done in Israel. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united together as one man. Then the tribes of Israel sent men throughout all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What is this wickedness that has occurred among you? Now therefore deliver up the men, the perverted men who are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and remove the evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. Instead, the children of Benjamin gathered together from their cities to Gibeah to go to battle against the children of Israel. So now we have civil war. And from their cities at that time, the children of Benjamin numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword besides the inhabitants of Gibeah, who numbered 700 select men. Among all these people were 700 select men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at his hair's breadth and not miss. These were great warriors. The Benjamites were warriors, special forces. Verse 17. Now besides Benjamin, the men of Israel numbered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All of these were men of war. And the children of Israel rose and went up to the house of God to inquire of God there in Shiloh, and they said, Which of us shall go up first to battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah first. So the children of Israel rose in the morning and camped against Gibeah, and the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin, and the men of Israel put themselves in battle ready to fight against him at Gibeah. Then the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah, and on that day cut down to the ground twenty two thousand men of the Israelites. And the people, that is the men of Israel, encouraged themselves again, formed the battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array on the first day. Then the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I again draw near for battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against them. So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day, and Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah on the second day and cut down to the ground 18,000 more of the children of Israel. All of these drew the sword." Then all the children of Israel, that is, all the people, went up and came to the house of God again in Shiloh, and they wept, and they sat down before the Lord, and they fasted that day until evening. And they'd offer burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord again, and the Ark of the Covenant was God was there in those days. So picture this, they're looking at the Ark of the Covenant, they're inquiring of the Lord, they're at Shiloh, and they're completely overwhelmed. They've been routed successively two days in a row, massive losses. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, and the ark of the covenant of God was in those days there. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days. That's our timeline. Saying, shall I again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, go up tomorrow. I will deliver them into your hand. Then Israel set out men, sent men in ambush all around Gibeah. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day put themselves in battle array against Gibeah as at other times. So the children of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from that city and began to strike down and kill some of the people as at other times in the highways, and one which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gibeah, in the field about 30 men of Israel. And the children of Benjamin said, Ah, they're defeated before us as at the first. But the children of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. So all the men of Israel rose from their place and put themselves in battle array at baal Tamar. Then Israel's men in ambush burst forth in positions in the plain Agiba, and 10,000 select men from all Israel came against Gibeah, and the battle was fierce. But the Benjamites did not know that disaster was upon them. The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the turn of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjamites. All these drew the sword. So the children of Benjamin saw that they were defeated, and the men of Israel had given ground to the Benjamites because they relied on the men in ambush whom they had set behind, against Gibeah, and that was behind them. And so the men in ambush quickly rushed upon Gibeah. Um, the men in ambush spread out and struck the whole city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in ambush was that they would make a great cloud of smoke rise up from that city, whereupon the men of Israel... Would turn in battle. Now, Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 of the men of Israel, for they had said, Surely they are defeated before us, as in the first battle. But when the cloud began to rise from the city in a column of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them, and there was a whole city going up in smoke to heaven. And when the men of Israel turned back, the men of Benjamin panicked, for they saw the disaster had come upon them. Therefore, they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness, but the battle overtook them. And whoever came out of the cities, they destroyed in their midst, and they surrounded the Benjamites, chased them, easily trampled them down as far as the front of Gibeah toward the east, and 18,000 men of Benjamin fell. All of these were men of valor. Then they turned and fled toward the wilderness, the Rock of Rimna, and they cut down 5,000 of them on the highways. Then they pursued them relentlessly to Gibbon, Gedom, and killed 2,000 of them. So, all who fell at Benjamin that day were 25,000 men who drew the sword. All these were men of valor. But 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness, the rock of Rimon, and they stayed at the rock of Rimon for four months. And the men of Israel turned back against the children of Benjamin and struck down with the edge of the sword from every city men, beasts, all who were found. And they set fire to all the cities they came to. You know, civil war is so brutal. Lebanon's never recovered from their civil war, right? How about the Yugoslavian civil war? You think the Serbs and the Croats are any closer than they ever were? Remember that? Civil war, Yugoslavian civil war in the 90s? Brutal, vicious. Human history is lots of wars, but something about civil war really brings it out. That's why I get so concerned about America, and I don't think violence is ever going to be the answer, because if this country went to violence from where we're at right now, these ideologies that are so opposed to each other. If we cross that line, God help us. You know, the first civil war we had there at Gettysburg, and I've been to Gettysburg. Two men gave a speech that day. The first guy went for an hour, and then, of course, Abraham Lincoln went for like about two minutes to the Gettysburg Address, the most famous speech in American history. It's there at the Lincoln Memorial when you go to D.C. But one of the things that he said there is that Judgments must come, but woe to whom those they come. And he said it's God's justice on the United States of America for slavery that the slaughter of the Civil War unfolded. And there was an accounting for an entire nation. This is an accounting for an entire nation. And God help us, God ever brings us to accounting for our nation with civil unrest. Believe me, it's better to pray and it's better to speak up and it's better to use the good laws in our land than to ever think violence can solve anything. Because he who takes up the sword will die by the sword. We don't, we don't ever want to see that day. God forbid. Don't ever want to see that day. The battle we fight is spiritual and for the marketplace of thought to win people's hearts to common sense and critical thinking and to a Christ world view because an Antichrist worldview will prevail on, in this universe and on this planet. But I don't ever want to be the one initiating violence and civil unrest. Now let's go back to the concubine. This woman, her life, let's think about her life for a minute. So she grew up like a little girl, surrounded like a little girl. Her dad, we saw her dad in the previous chapter some levite takes advantage of his position to take this girl and make him his sexual partner though not be make her his sexual partner though not be married to her it's not a real full commitment he treated her as a second class citizen we know that we're not sure what her, her 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 dad thought of her she wanted to be loved and she wanted affection thus she was unfaithful to her levite master And when she was being violently raped, and I have to go back to this, and was dying probably from internal bleeding, she must have wondered if her life had any meaning or any significance. How many women die of rape every day on this planet? How many people bear the scars of brutal, vicious, violent crimes, including men against little boys? So if we think of her last moments on planet Earth where she's dying and the violence. Now, so a life that she lived that was a certain way, never finding love and fulfillment in the male in her life. And the look on her face when he would have cast her outside to be gang raped, betrayed by the Levite. You suddenly, judge and jury for all Israel when he cuts your body up in pieces. And as she died, I wonder if she thought, Is there any justice in the universe? And think of all the people that died unjustly today on this planet, around the world, at the hands of evil men and even evil women. But know this Christ on the cross is a testimony of God's love and perfect justice. And these men didn't get away with anything. Her betraying master didn't get away with anything. Nobody gets away with anything in eternity. And there will be perfect justice before the throne of God for every soul. And we'll give an account for every thought, every action, and even its intent. In fact, we'll give an account for every idle word we've ever spoken but we would like to see justice in time. It's amazing how the death of one person can cause, if it's polarizing, the death of one person, like the Lindbergh baby, when Charles Lindbergh baby was kidnapped, that was very polarizing in the 30s for America, this innocent baby taken from this national hero. And then, you know, it was just, it's a horrible, horrible thing the kidnapping and, and the death of the baby, the Lindbergh baby. Sometimes there's, a, there's an event that so resonates with humanity between decency and evil that it'll unify an entire planet. We saw that with the BLM movement. It was so offensive and so polarizing and so unfair for law enforcement and so unfair for criminals, the video, and so unfair for the people whose properties were destroyed by looters who didn't care about it all but just needed a reason to blame other people because their skin color, or their prosperity, or whatever. But, you know, one death can be so polarizing and so impactful on an entire generation. But for every one person that everyone might see them die a way that we don't want to see them die, how many people die like this woman that we don't see? And is their death any less valuable? So when we see the death of an adult black man, is that any less valuable than the death of an Asian baby in the womb or a white baby or a black baby in the womb? Do they not cry out? We know babies cry when you rip them to pieces in the womb. So I don't need to say any name except sons of Adam and daughters of Eve because every life counts and all lives matter. And when there's injustice, especially when it's gripping, humanity can rally around that. So I can answer what the woman probably thought when she was dying. Will there ever be justice for this? And I can say, yes, there will be an eternity. And in your case, there was in time as well. 50,000 men died for what these evil men did to you. And your life that seems so insignificant when you were being raped, gang raped by violent homosexual men, your life changed the entire generation that you grew up in. God held them accountable. Not your Levite master cutting your body in pieces. God held them accountable. He allowed tens of thousands of Israelites to be defeated after he told them to go do it. God held Israel accountable For this evil, every single tribe lost thousands of men because of this violent act committed against this woman. And then the Benjamites, who in their pride and stiff-neckedness and in their arrogance, who refused to cooperate with justice in verse 14, by handing over the perpetrators so they could be hung according to God's law as an example and restraint against evil from other people doing it. Because they're strong men and they're especially trained militarily, and they can do things with their left-hand militarily that no one else can do, and they're full of themselves and full of their flesh and their self-confidence that no one tells them how to do law or enforce law, and we're going to cover our homies who raped this woman and killed her. We're going to cover their back because around in Benjamin, we got each other's back, and guess what? They all died, and their city where they committed this act was burned to the ground. And no one saw their high school graduation. No one saw their promotion. No one saw the wedding. No one saw the bar mitzvah. They lost it all, all of them in Benjamin. 600 men sat on a rock for four months to think about what they allowed to happen in their land and their unwillingness to stand up for its right and be men of character, courage, and integrity, and to confront evil and initiate justice, not according to even the law of the land like the Constitution of the United States, but the law of God for Israel in the Mosaic Covenant. And God held every one of them accountable, every one of them, for the innocent blood of this woman raped and murdered in their town. And thus we see yet again Innocent blood will always be held accounted for by those who shed it. Tens of thousands of people died, every tribe, Benjamin, all of them. So like Abraham Lincoln, woe to whom justice comes and judgments, but judgment will come, and God will deal it out. And that's why in our own country right now, With all the conspirators, the collaborators, the liars, the murderers, betrayers. Don't let them fret you or get in your good headspace with Jesus Christ and in your heart with Jesus Christ. Because they will be held accountable. Life is so short. Life is so short. And most of us know that in this room. Life is so short. I've been going through the stuff of my parents. You know, this is the day my mom died two years ago. And here's this memorial for James Trent today. You know, life is so short. I've told you, I inherited all the stuff that my dad kept for his dad and his family. So all the brand Truesdale stuff came through my dad, and I got it all. And I got too much. I have to go through it. You know, and it's like when you go through people's memories from 100 years ago, I'm reading my grandfather Fred's letters to Esther from 1929 when he was courting her. And you're realizing, like, I did their 60th wedding anniversary at Calvary Chapel Vista in the 80s, and I'm reading his love letters to Esther last night while I'm separated from my wife this month as she's in Florida and I've been here. Life is so... Short. My grandfather, my dad's dad, Guadalcanal. I never knew he served in Guadalcanal. I knew he was in Iwo Jima and the Marianas. Guadalcanal and Iwo Jima. Red Cross. I saw pictures I never saw before. You know, they talk about the 1,000-yard stair, you veterans. We all know the 1,000-yard stair, right? That's the stair from war. I found pictures of my grandfather I'd never seen before. And he has a thousand yard stare and he's in a jeep in Guadalcanal. And he dealt with the dead bodies. He notified the parents. And I found the letter after 20 months of service requesting permission to rotate out and go back home and be with his wife and son after 20 months in the South Pacific in World War II. Life is so short. Don't let injustice move you from the place of faith and confidence in the Lord. Don't let it provoke us to anger and wrath and unforgiveness and violence. Let God be God and let the church be the church. Now, we have the last chapter. Yes, that woman's life counted And God avenged her blood. And the Benjamites did not know disaster had come upon them. But alas, it did. And it will always come upon those who shed innocent blood. Chapter 21, verse 1. Now the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizpah, saying, None of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin as a wife. Then the people came to the house of God, and they remained there before God till evening. And they lifted up their voice and wept bitterly and said, O oh Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel? So they realized how far-reaching their vow was. So it was on the next day, on the next morning, that the people arose early and built an altar there and offered a burnt offering and peace offerings. And the children of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up with the assembly to the Lord? For they had made a great oath concerning Anyone who had not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. So see, they made an oath that we're never going to give any of our daughters to these Benjamites for what they've done. And anyone that doesn't go with us to fight the Benjamites, they're going to be executed. So they made two oaths. So it says in verse 6: And the children of Israel grieved for Benjamin, their brother, and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel today, what shall we do for the wives for those who remain? Seeing that we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them our daughters as wives. And they said, what one is there from the tribes of Israel who did not come up to Mizpah to the Lord? And in fact, no one came to, to the camp from Jabez-Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were counted, indeed, not one of the inhabitants of Jabez-Gilead was there. So the congregation sent there out there 12,000, the most valiant men, and commanded them, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabez-Gilead with the edge of the sword, including the women and the children. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male and every woman who has known a man intimately." So they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately. And they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin, who were at the Rock of Renan, and announced peace to them. So Benjamin came back at that time, and they gave them the women who they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh Gilead, and yet they had not found enough women for them, because it's 600 men, 400 women. And the people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made void in the tribe, had made a void in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for the wives, for those who remain since the women of Benjamin had been destroyed? And he said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. However, we cannot give them wives from our daughters, for the children of Israel have sworn an oath, saying, Cursed be the one who gives a, a wife to Benjamin. Then they said, Okay, in fact, there's a yearly feast, though, of the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of uh, Labona. Therefore, they instructed the children of Benjamin, saying, Look, go lie and wait in the vineyards and watch. Just when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances, then come out from the vineyards and every man catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh, then go to the land of Benjamin." and it shall be when their fathers or their brothers come to us to complain, we shall say to them, be kind to them for our sake, because we did not take a wife for any of them in the war, for it is not as though you have given the women to them at that time, making yourselves guilty of your oath. And so the children of Benjamin did so, and they took enough wives for their number from those who danced, whom they caught. Then they went and returned to their inheritance, and they rebuilt the cities and dwelt in them. So the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe, his family, and they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So Gibeah gets it, and I don't have to explain this stuff. I don't even know how to explain this stuff. But again, Gibeah was neutral. They tried not, they tried, uh, uh, excuse me, Jabez Gilead. So, Jabez Gilead, they're like, you know, it's not our problem. Yeah, you know, maybe somebody in Jabez Gilead's like, you know, maybe the mayor's like, you know, that's really bad that that woman got raped there. But, you know, she was a harlot, serves her right. Who knows what he thought? We know how people think. You know, people put on comments on Facebook and Instagram what they blog on news stories. Just so people are so vile with what they post and say. Who knows? But these people live in Jabez Gilead and they refuse to take a side. They refused to stand with Benjamin. Why would you? Because that was evil. But they refused to bear the responsibility to bring justice in the land. Oh, it's out of our jurisdiction. Eh, you know. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't affect me. Doesn't affect me. Do you know people like that? It's not my problem. No. The moral issues of our day that are biblical issues, they do affect us, and they are our challenges. I would never stand with BLM, not because I'm not for black lives, because obviously I am, and everyone knows that, that knows me. I don't stand with them because they're political ideology. It's anti-Christ and anti-family. But I've been in South Africa during apartheid. I planted the first church with a black pastor in the south for Calvary Chapel, Tony Clark. I've had black friends name their kids after me. My black friends know that I'm not racist against blacks, and I try not to be racist against anybody. I think we're all learning that. You know what made me happy going through my grandfather's stuff? They had a letter from a black family thanking them for reaching out to them and being their friends, and they sent the pictures, 1950s. Isn't that cool? My dad's uncle, Harold, was a a fighter pilot with the Air Force in World War II. You know where I saw he was trained? Muskegee Air Base, Oklahoma. Muskegee Airmen. The blacks came shortly after him. All lives matter because Christ made them all. So, I don't let people corner me in a box and def- define who I am because of my color, my skin, or my age. I'm not an angry white man. I love humanity, and I've given my life to serve Jesus Christ for 34 years, regardless of people's skin, color, their worldview, their ethnicity, or their gender. So I don't need some political left hat- leftist hack telling me I'm racist because I'm white, and I'm not gonna say they're racist because they're black or white or Asian or anything else. I'll disagree with Martin Luther King Jr. where he said, I long for the day when we judge a man or a woman by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And that's a minister of the gospel right there. It's a horrible three chapters, and it's a horrible story. We can't just do what's right in our own eyes, and we can't be indifferent to injustices. We need to choose sides of right and wrong, and make sure you stand on the side of Jesus Christ. And make sure you value all lives. And you forgive those that hurt you. And you go forward with Jesus Christ. Until they do your memorial service in this building on a day like today. We want to finish strong. The one who dies generous. The one who dies forgiving. The one who dies living, loving. That's the victor in the human experience. That's the one we say they fought the good fight. They kept the faith and finish the race. I hope we're those kind of men and women on December 28th, 2021 in the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we're not, it sure is who we should be esteeming to be as we turn the pages to a new year.